Welcome to our Bring Your Friend Day. I see a lot of new friends that are out there this morning. It's really, really encouraging and good to have all of you guys. Uh, we've got the grill fired up already. I don't know if you can smell it or not, but uh, the grill is going. Um, Josh Pate and his crew are doing a fantastic job out there making hamburgers and hot dogs for all of you. And we've got potato chips too, and we've even got water for everybody to drink. We are doing it right today. Oh, I did want to say, um, on behalf of myself and Dwayne, thank you so much for appreciating uh, the work that Dwayne and I, and really so many of us do um, in the ministry. I mean, Dwayne and I get the, the privilege of doing this full time and being supported financially to do this. But so many of you guys are leading in different capacities and are pastoring in different capacities. And so I just want to spread that appreciation love out to you guys, too, for all that you guys do. It's so uh, funny because as I was sitting there and I was thinking, like, what's this announcement about? And at the very last minute, I thought maybe it's pastor appreciation because I called Trinidad about a week and a half ago because I saw it on the calendar. And I called down there. I said, listen, you guys have to do something for Nino and Merlene. And they're doing this. So, well, they're done by now. But they did something for Nino and Merlene this morning as well. So I hope and I pray that he's encouraged. And Nino, if you hear this, a big up to you two out there. I don't know. I don't even know if he listens to my lessons. I don't know. <laughs> Nino. Anyway, so, again, great to be here this morning. Um, another announcement really quick is a few of us are going to be out of town next weekend. We've got the uh, West Virginia ACR staff retreat coming up. So um, the Jameses and I think the Bentons, the Shilohs, Ed Spearman's going to be going. Um, maybe a couple of others will be out of town next weekend, but Raphael Battle is going to be preaching the word next Sunday. So I want you guys to really encourage him, listen to the word as it's preached. It's his first time preaching and full-length sermon, and he's very excited about it. Right, Raph? Very excited about it <laughs> to preach next week, so give him your ear and your attention. Um, the title of this morning's lesson is The Hour Has Come. The Hour Has Come. And we're, we're at the point in Jesus' life here in the Gospel of John where the hour has come. It's beginning the, the Passion Week and everything from here leads into the crucifixion, the death, burial, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everything that John has written about up to this point has been marching and, and driving towards this one particular end and really history really drives towards this one particular end. Everything before Jesus drove towards this point. And believe it or not, everything after Jesus retroactively drives back to this singular moment, which is Jesus dying on the cross for all of us. I'm going to pray, and we've got a passage to read and just a couple of points to make. And then we'll uh, be able to get our grub on, all right? Yeah. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you, God. We honor you for the leadership that you give us in our lives, for everything that Jesus has done for us, uh, dying for us when we weren't even beginning to be thoughts in anyone's mind. Uh, Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for our sin, 
a debt that, that we owed that we didn't have to pay and that Christ paid for instead. Uh, let our hearts be softened every time we consider what Jesus has done. Let our lives be inspired. Let our spirits be moved, Father, by this incredible expression of love by your Son, Jesus Christ. May our ears be open. Your servants are listening. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 12. We're going to read verses 20 through, let's see here, 36. It says, now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No! It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Point number one this morning is time to die. Time to die. (laughs) Kind of a grim point title, huh? (laughs) Jesus had mentioned many times, and and John even had mentioned many times in his gospel, that his message, the message of salvation, was for all people, not just for the Jews. And most recently, Jesus had made this clear in the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. I'll read it again, but you can join in if you want in John 12, 13, John 12, 15, I'm sorry. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. In the Bible, when you read about the nations, that's always the people outside of the Jews, meaning the Gentiles. 
And he says, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Meaning that God's salvation is coming to all men, to all people, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles as well. And in line with this fulfillment, John lets us know about the arrival of some Greeks in verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip with the request, we would like to see Jesus. And when they say they wanted to see Jesus, they weren't like, I just, you know, I just want to peep him out because they obviously could see Jesus. They wanted to sit down and, and talk to or maybe interview. They just wanted to kind of have a moment with Jesus. That's what he means by that. And Jesus, as he gets this request, he doesn't say like, hmm, I don't know if I want to meet with these guys or not. He just launches into his hour has come, right? He, he just simply says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so this arrival of the Gentiles and wanting to seek out Jesus triggers Jesus's time, triggers Jesus's hour. Up till now, it had not been the right time. But now the hour has come and the events in this chapter, meaning this conversation, the triumphal entry, the things that Mary did with Jesus with the perfume, they all serve again as a kickoff for what's going to be happening in this upcoming week. It's like Jesus saying, oh, it's all now. That's kind of like what he's saying. And we might be asking, well, what is he kicking off? Well, again, it's this passion week. It was time for Jesus to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world and to be risen again. And the next seven or eight chapters of the Gospel of John are all about these last five days or so in Jesus' life. And so these Greeks, they were Gentile God-fearers or proselytes, but they were of Greek origin. So they were born Gentiles, but they admired the Jewish tradition. They wanted to be Jews, but they didn't go all the way in terms of being circumcised and so they would be around everything that the Jews did. They committed themselves to some Jewish traditions. And they were there also at the feast ready to worship. They were similar to the Ethiopian eunuch or Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And they had made these decisions to adopt Judaism to a certain degree. So they approached Philip, probably because Philip's name is a Greek name, even though Philip was Jew. A Jew, and this is probably just for relatability. They're thinking, well, who is it that we can kind of talk to to try to get in with Jesus? Oh, there's another Greek guy right there. Let's go talk to him. Philip, in turn, goes to talk to Andrew. Andrew, whose name is also Greek as well. Both of them together go to Jesus and try to get this uh, meeting set up with the Greeks and Jesus. Jesus seemingly ignores Philip and Andrew's message. And again, he says that the hour has come for him to be glorified, and he predicts his death, and he compares himself to a kernel of wheat. Jesus was big on the agricultural kinds of, uh, um, what am I thinking about, analogies there. And so he uses this kernel of wheat, and he says that the only way for this kernel of wheat to bear fruit and to become many seeds is for it to die. That's the only way that it's going to happen. And he's saying that his task and his mission in order for them to be complete, for the fruit of the souls of all men to be born, that he must also die. He cannot live and all of these things take place. And then he moves to anyone who would want to follow him. And he says that if you're unwilling to die, you will die. 
But if you're willing to die, you will live for eternity. And this is the difference between Eastern and Western thought. Western thought is A plus B equals C. We think very linear. We think very either or. Eastern thought tends to be circular. It tends to be more both and. And that's what we hear in Jesus's words. Again, John 12, 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He makes a connection between service and following him. He says, basically, if you want to serve Jesus, you got to be where he is. And if you are, then you'll be honored by the Father. And so he sounds like he's ignoring Philip and Andrew's request about this meeting with him. But he's actually answering the request. They're saying, hey, we want to meet with Jesus. And if you could imagine why in the first place these Greeks would want to meet with Jesus. Think about it. They're, they're, they're proselytes. They're Gentiles. They're already kind of outsiders. They've heard about the promises of, of God. They've heard about this reconciliation of the kingdom. They've heard about this liberator who's going to deliver the Jewish people. But they're probably wondering, are we going to be a part of that too? We're not born as Jews. Yeah, we, we, we love Yahweh and everything else, but are we going to be a part of that too? And so I can only imagine that that's why they wanted to meet with Jesus, to find out, hey, Jesus, what you're going to do sounds really awesome. But can we be a part of that too, even though we're Gentiles? You see what I'm saying? And so Jesus anticipates this question, and then he gives his answer. And he's basically saying, look, First of all, I got to die for you. And when I do that, that's going to open up the door, not just for the Gentile, not for this, for the Jews, but for everyone to be saved. And if you want to enter, you've got to die just like I'm dying. That's his answer to the Greeks of that day. Jesus' first answer applies to himself, and then it applies to everyone else who would choose to want to follow him. And he gives this underlying principle about his death. And he's basically saying that death produces life. In order for him to give life to the Jews and to the Gentiles, he's got to die. And it sounds counterintuitive, but that's how life works. Life comes from death. Death comes from life. Seeds must first die before they can produce new life and before they can produce much fruit. And this general principle is now extended to the Greeks and to the Jews as well. He makes the point that anyone who strives to save his life is going to destroy it in the end. But anyone who despises his life in this world is the one who's going to actually save it. And those who would follow Jesus must follow the same principle and the same practice as their master. Jesus says that greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Because self-sacrifice, it's the ultimate expression of love. You can give somebody a gift, Christmas gift, you can do that. You can give somebody some money. You can uh, make a telephone call to somebody. And you can say, I love you. But the greatest expression of love is self-sacrifice on behalf of another person. 
One of the most heroic acts of self-sacrifice in history was by a man named Salvo D'Aquisto. I'm going to read you a little story about him. He was a World War II veteran. The story goes, very few Italian heroes from the Second World War are well known in the English-speaking world. But surely the story of Salvo D'Aquisto deserves to be known and celebrated. As a young officer, he condemned himself to certain death so that others might have the chance to live. By all accounts, Salvo had a typical childhood. Poverty was rife in his southern Italian city, and so he lived with his seven siblings, parents, and grandparents in a single-room apartment. He left school at the age of 14 and enrolled in a unit of the Italian army which served as a police force. The first few years of his career took him to Rome and then northern Africa, but then when war broke out, he was sent to keep order in a small village just to the north of Rome. Salvo was on duty on the morning of the 23rd of September, 1943. He had just been to church for mass when he saw a group of feared SS or Nazi soldiers approaching. Salvo greeted the officer, but the officer struck him across the mouth instead. And this Nazi officer told Salvo that one of his own soldiers had been killed in an explosion in a nearby village. The Nazi officer suspected sabotage was to blame, and he wanted revenge. The Nazis had chosen 22 local men, and they would all be shot if Salvo could not find whomever was responsible for the sabotage. Salvo had to watch as the innocent men were made to dig their graves. And he tried to comfort the men and reason with the Nazi officer at the same time. Eventually, Salvo himself confessed to the crime, saying that he had caused the explosion and had acted completely alone. He didn't really do it, but he's taking responsibility for it. He stressed that the other men were innocent and should be let go. Surprisingly, the Nazi officer took Salvo at his word. The 22 men were released, and Salvo had to face the firing squad all alone. He was shot just before dark, with just one of the freed men staying around to watch his final moments. After the war, Salvo's actions became widely known. He was posthumously awarded the Gold Medal of Military Valor, which is Italy's highest military honor. Streets have been named after him, and stamps were made with his face on them. He's also been the subject of numerous biographies and movies. Salvo is widely regarded as Italy's most important martyr because he gave his life for someone else. This man volunteered to die so that others could live. Life really does come from death. And Jesus is saying this not only to the Greeks, but by extension, he's saying this to us as well 2,000 years later. Ask yourself, would you do what Salvo D'Aquisto, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, would you do what he did? Would you die for 22 other people that you don't even know? He didn't even know these people. Would you love another person that deeply to die for them? Some may. But that's not only what Jesus did, but that's what he expects of those who want to follow him. Death to self, 
self-sacrifice or being poured out. We've got to hate our lives in this world, the Bible says. What does this in this world mean? It means it's the attachment that we all have to this life's worries and riches and, and pleasures. Life's uh, trivial or frivolous pursuits. And Jesus is saying that he's got to come first. That this, these attachments to the world can't be the first things in our lives. Salvo knew he could not have both. He couldn't have both his life and the life of those 22 villagers. And he had to choose. And we have to choose between our lives and this world, in this world, and Jesus. We cannot have both of them. And in the same way that we can't put seeds in a nicely protected jar and, and put them up on a shelf and admire them and expect them to grow at the same time, it's the same way that we cannot shelter and protect our lives and expect them to grow and bear fruit. It will not happen. We've got to die in order to live. We've got to sacrifice so that others can be set free. First John says that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Friendship with the world is hatred toward God, and we try to have both. You can put up my next slide. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Indian monkey trap before. This is the way that they catch monkeys in India. Not big gorillas, but small ones like this one. But they'll take a coconut, they'll hollow out the coconut, and they'll attach a string to the coconut. And inside of the coconut, they'll put something nice, maybe some rice or maybe some fruit or something like that, and they'll leave it out. The monkey eventually obviously smells it. The monkey comes and he reaches inside of the coconut and he grabs whatever it is, the fruit or the rice, but when he grabs it, his fist is so big, it can't be pulled out of the hole of the coconut. And so the monkey is there. He, he wants what's inside of the coconut so bad, but at the same time, he can't get it. And instead of just releasing his hand and getting out of the coconut and walking away, the monkey will literally sit there holding on to the fruit or the rice until the hunter comes along and simply pulls the string and the monkey comes right along with it. The monkey is trapped, but the monkey isn't trapped physically. There's no bars. He's not in a box. There's no lock. There's no cage. There's nothing there. The monkey is trapped by his own desires. Trapped by his own heart. Trapped by his own mind. Because he wants something greater than his own life. And he's willing to sacrifice his own life for some rice or some fruit. Do you see where I'm going with this? This is what we're like many times. We hold on to the world. We're like those monkeys. And we want our new cell phones. We want our cars. We want our internet connections. Got to be high speed. We want our AC. We want the nice clothes. We want to live in comfort every single day. And we will hold on to it for dear life. Lord, do not let me go without AC. I just can't take it no more, Lord. 
And we'll do whatever we got to do to be comfortable. All the while, sacrificing our lives. And being taken away. We want to look like the world and look like Jesus. We can't do that. We want to be spoken well of by the world and hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. We can't do that. We want to live lives of comfort while we follow the man who had no place to lay his head. We can't do that. We want to hide in our homes and work the harvest fields. We can't do that. And we want to hold on to sin and take hold of the next life as well. We cannot do that. We have to choose between our lives in this world and Jesus Christ. We have to release our grip on one in order to gain the other. And some of us think, well, I can do both. I can hold on to the world and the things that I want, but I can still look good and come to church too. And you're just like the monkey because that's what the monkey's thinking. Well, I'll just sit here and I'll hold on to this long enough. Eventually, somehow, I'll get what I want. And along comes the trapper. And guess what? The monkey is now somebody's pet. Now, I think that we have good hearts, okay? I really do. And I think that if we lived in a poverty-stricken or a war-torn part of the world, I believe that we would see great examples of sacrifice. But it's harder to see reasons to sacrifice in our particularly American culture. We live in the greatest, wealthiest nation ever known to the history of mankind. And it's hard to see opportunities and reasons to sacrifice for someone else because after all, my fridge is full. When I open up my door, it ain't got nothing but condiments all through the whole refrigerator. I got relish, I got ketchup, I got mustard, I got Worcester sauce, I got everything going on in my refrigerator. I am not in want. Now, if you lived in a different country where they did not have those things, I believe that we would see more sacrifice because we would see more reasons to sacrifice. That's why we have to be intentional in our culture. We have to look for reasons to sacrifice. We have to look for reasons to give. And that's why this campaign, this month's intentional focus on being poured out is so good for us. Because we've got to be focused on it. It's not naturally going to happen. And so our weekly focus, you can put up my next slide, is don't be a single seed. Don't make this week about you. Rather, make it about producing many seeds. Intentionally schedule appointments with new friends to inspire them to know Jesus, i.e., let's study the Bible with people. It's time to die, church. It's time to die so that other people can live. And when we truly surrender and die to our lives in this world, it's then that we truly live. Isn't that when you feel the best? When we've given, right? When we've sacrificed, when we've exhausted ourselves for someone, that's when you feel like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. But when you're sitting at home watching Netflix, yeah, it feels good for a couple hours. But then you get bored, 
right? And you look for the next thing to fill you and the next thing and the next thing and you never end up finding it. Amen. Point number two. Second point. Last point. Time to be drawn. Here Jesus says, where am I? Verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? And so in anticipation of his death, Jesus' soul is troubled. Gethsemane wasn't the only time that Jesus was troubled about going to the cross. We see it right here as well. But Jesus doesn't shrink back and ask to be spared. He doesn't want to necessarily avoid what is to come. No, he embraces it. And he says, this is exactly why I'm here. The hour has come. I'm here to die for the sins of man, for the sins of the world, and to be a ransom for many. Again, bring it on. Let's go. I'm ready to die. And that's his attitude. He says, Father, glorify your name. And he gets this direct and public confirmation of his mission from God. This is the third time that we read in the Gospels that God directly speaks. One, when Jesus is baptized. Two, Mount of Transfiguration. Three, it's this time right here. God says, I've glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now, there are some who are there and there's always the people when they see something amazing that God has done who try to attribute it to some kind of natural cause. So God literally speaks while Jesus is doing all this and you got people there saying, oh, well, that must have just been thunder. <laughs> oh, it was just a coincidence that that happened, right? Crazy. Anyway, others knew or saw or thought that an angel had spoken. Jesus said that the voice was given for their benefit. But if you think about it, the voice wasn't even understandable. So how could it have been for their benefit if they couldn't have understood it? It's because God wanted Jesus to be his mouthpiece. God, and on the Mount of Transfiguration, God, God tells um, Peter, James, and John, this is my son whom I love. And then he says, listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. And that, in essence, is what God is saying here, too. He says something in, in a way that the humans can't understand because he wants them to listen to Jesus. And so the hour has come, Jesus says. Now is the time for judgment of this world. The death knell is sounding for the ruler of this world because Satan is not going to win in the end. Yeah, he's here. He's tempting. He's tormenting. He's accusing right now, today. But in the end, he's not going to win. He's going to be brought down. And obviously, Jesus is going to reign supreme in the end. And through Jesus' death, this is how he attracts. This is how he calls. This is how he woos men to him and wins them over. Because he says all men will be drawn to him. And he does it not through his insecure strength. He doesn't force people to come to him. Jesus does it through his secure weakness. Through his incredible self-sacrifice and his infinite love. And Jesus knew that even though so many had not believed up to this point, that when he died for them, that he would draw men to him. And that people would see his love for them and loving back. And that's the whole purpose. God wants you back. If you're visiting with us today, if you don't have or never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, God wants you back. And that's the whole point of Jesus' life. It's the whole point of the scriptures. It's like the whole point of everything 
is this broken relationship that's happened between us and God. And God is doing everything that he can just to get us back into his life again. And Jesus is how he does that. We were married to God in Eden, but we broke up when we turned against him. And now he wants us back. I think Tony Braxton is the one that said, unbreak my heart. Say that you'll love me again. Undo this hurt that you caused when you walked out the door and walked out of my life. Uncry these tears. I've cried so many, many nights, right? That's what God is saying to us. Saying you've broken my heart, but unbreak it. I've cried, but uncry the tears. Come back to me. And so since it's been made so clear that Jesus died to pay the price for our sin 2,000 years ago, it's time to be drawn to him. And if you haven't already, my friends, this may well be your hour of decision, just like it was for the Greeks. We have the works that Jesus did, the miracles that he performed. We have record of audible confirmation from God himself. And we have proof of his love through Jesus' death burial and his resurrection from the dead. And in light of all this, I urge you to heed Jesus's words. Listen to him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. And so it is time to be drawn. What will your decision be? We want to help you with this decision. We believe that this decision is so important that we clear out our schedules to sit down with people one-on-one and open the Bible with them to show them God's love for them. And we'd like to do that with you this week. And so if you've been moved by God's great love for you this morning, we encourage you to set up some time with whomever brought you and be drawn to Jesus. And we didn't get through everything that I wanted to get through this morning, but I'm running kind of late, so I'm going to stop here. We'll cover the rest of midweek. But in summary, the Greeks were looking to see Jesus. Jesus tells them that the hour has come. It's time to die. Time for him to show his love and die for them. And time for them to die if they want to serve him and live. Let's remember that we cannot have both. Let's hate our lives in this world so that we can be honored by the Father. And it's time to be drawn. Jesus wanted his death to be the ultimate expression of his love for us in hopes of getting us back again. He's proven his love. Let's be drawn to him. Amen. Amen? And we're going to have one final song. And as soon as we're done, the burgers and the hot dogs are ready. So you are, you are, we encourage and invite everybody to stick around, hang out, have some fellowship, eat some food, and have a great time. Amen? Amen.